Come now to the scripture. Let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray now as we come to the scripture that you will um, be close to us as you've been. Um, Come this morning to worship you. Um, We've sung praises to you. We've made confession of our sin because you know you're gracious and merciful to forgive us through Jesus. And we have a great sense of your presence being reconciled with you. And so now we pray that you would speak to us. Uh, Let us not take for granted this word, but always be amazed that before us is the very word of God. So be with us now as we listen and think. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to James in chapter 5. I want to read verses 7 through 12. I, I know in the bulletin it says 12 through 20, but I've changed my mind. That's not a typo. I changed my mind on where I want to put verse 12, which is the passage from which we'll think this morning. So that's one thing. The second thing is you'll notice I changed the response to the reading of the scripture from the word of the Lord to thanks be to God. I I worshiped here last Sunday here and the thanks be to God was really weak. (laughs) And so I've changed it. So you can see it will be from Isaiah and also from 1 Peter And I will say, all flesh is like grass in the glory of the flower of the grass. And you will say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Okay? All right, here we go. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by anything, uh, by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Uh, all flesh is like grass, and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I trust you believe that. Um, I want to, if God will help me, to take up verse 12 only. Um, It's been a month, I think, four Sundays since I've had occasion to preach here uh, with us. But um, um, I finished last time at verse 11, so verse 12 is next. So I want to take up this verse. It says, But above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall uh, under um, condemnation. Now, in some versions, English ones, some versions, this verse 12 is tucked in with verses 7 through uh, 11. In other versions, it stands alone. Uh, And then some scholars even say, well, it really should go with what comes after it. And so that leaves us with a bit of a dilemma, where to put it. Now, as we've been studying through the book of James, what we found is that sometimes it appears that his comments are somewhat random, that that he just sort of, boom, there it is. He just says something, comes, it seems, out of the blue. And, and, And I really, as I read the scriptures, you know from listening to me for 
all these years, some of you, that continuity is huge for me. I, I, I stay up at night wondering how things fit together in the scripture. And so this verse drives me crazy uh, because I wonder where does it really go? Is it, does it come with what I've read uh, talking about helping us to be more patient and telling us to be patient? The Lord is coming and so be patient even in the midst of what they're experiencing, economic injustice, uh, and, and they're the recipients of it. And so, so does it mean, or is it, is it coming with, with, with what's to follow about it? We're to pray and to praise and to pray for each other and to confess our sins to each other and, and to go after the brother who's, who's gone away. So it's just difficult to know. And so, so through Friday, I had it with the end of James and, and then yesterday I had it with the beginning of James. And so I think it's going to be transitional. So next week we'll transition from it. This week we'll, we'll kind of uh, move uh, in a way to it. But, but it's significant. But what, what makes it even uh, more curious and, 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 and it is how he begins. He says in verse 12, but above all my brothers. Really? The most important thing is that we don't swear an oath? I mean, really, James, is that what you're saying? Is that the most important thing that, 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 that you want to tell us after all that you've told us? Is that the key to the Christian life? That's easy. Uh, somehow, it doesn't seem like it's just simply that. That, that, that there's something he's after here. That if we've been reading carefully and thinking through it with him, then I think we'll get. And, and then he also says, this is so important, not swearing oath, but your yes be yes and your no be no. This truth telling be so important that, that, that if it isn't true of it, you may fall under condemnation. And so James is saying to us, you may not really be a believer. And so it seems like Wherever this sentence goes, it's really, really important to what James, the Holy Spirit, through him, James is trying to say to us. And so, so that's what, what gives me pause to kind of take it up separately as its own sentence uh, this morning and, and, and to try to think through what, what does James really mean by it? How does it fit with what he's been saying? How does he apply it then to them? What's it really mean for them? And thus, at that point, what's it mean for us? Um, this truth telling. It shouldn't surprise us, just, just as you've, if you've been here with us, if you haven't, I'm sorry, go home and read James this week. But, but if you've been tracking with us as we've worked our way through this little letter, um, it's really, really important what we say. You'll notice in, in chapter 1 and verse 26, James says, If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see, that's what he's about, isn't he? He's about this sincerity. You've probably, if you've been paid attention, and you did, I know, through the liturgy, that you realize that there's something that was on my mind as we're working through this liturgy about being sincere. Do we really believe this? And not just an expression of our lips. You see, even as, as we make confession of our sin, it isn't just a ritual we go through, whether it's in a worship liturgy or whether it's at home privately or whether it's in a small group of people. It, it, isn't, it isn't just words that we say. The question is, do these words represent what is really true within us? Are we just sort of faking it, if you will? Are we deceiving? As James says, you're deceiving. If, if you can't really control what you say, 
then, then, then you're being deceived. Because what did Jesus say about what we say? He says, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. See, the heart really, the mouth, what we say really reflects. It needs to reflect what's really in, in our hearts. Is this really something sincere? And so James tells us that it's significant what we say. And then he goes on, like in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And in other words, he says, now, speak and act, you know, that, 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 that our, 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 our actions and what we say are to be done in the context of knowing that God is watching. There really is judgment. This is really real. This is important. This is significant. This isn't just... Life, it's real life. So, speak and act. And then in chapter 3, he really gets down and dirty with us. And, and he talks about, uh, about our tongues, about how we, how we speak. He says, uh, verse 2 of chapter 3, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, that is, he's reached maturity, able to bridle his whole body. It's like what we say directs so much even of our own lives. And so if we can control that, on the one hand, it may be the hardest thing to control, the hardest thing to control. So if we control that, we control our lives. But also we realize that, that that's part of who we are, what we speak. And it, it, it has a tendency, what we speak, to direct our whole lives. It's that significant. Just like the rudder on a ship is small, but boy, it directs the ship. Just like a bridle in the mouth of a horse directs it small compared to the horse. But our tongue small compared to everything else in our body, but it's significant in the course of our lives. It can set everything ablaze, if you will. And he says, and these words are so convicting that with the same mouth we can bless the Lord and curse each other. He says, that's not the way to be. If we bless the Lord, we should bless those made in his image. And then reflecting what Jesus had said about out of the mouth of the heart, about uh, out of the mouth the heart speaks in verse 11 of chapter 3 James puts it like this he says does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water can a fig tree my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs neither can a salt pond yield fresh water in other words he says that our mouths what we say should reflect our hearts and if our hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit how and what we say should reflect that then, of course, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Don't speak evil against each other, brothers. Uh, we shouldn't speak evil against each other. Not, not if we're brothers and sisters together, you see. And then verse 13 of chapter 4, he said, Come now, you who say, again, ex- uh, emphasizing what we say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what's your life. He said, Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills. In other words, with our, our mouth should reflect what we say should reflect the fact that we know that God is sovereign we're not but so often uh, our mouths can reflect the fact that we think that we're in control of our own destiny and then in chapter 5 in verse 9 he says even in trouble that's the context don't grumble against each other brothers so that you may not be judged he says listen it's significant what we say and don't grumble Not if your heart's been renewed, not if you're really trusting the Lord, even in the midst 
of this economic injustice which they're experiencing. Don't grumble. What we say in the context of this letter that James is writing is as, is of the utmost importance and significance. So it doesn't surprise us that when he's going to talk about what we say, something we might say, he says, above all, this, this is really important. Why? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So make sure that that's true. Is, are you really sincerely a believer? Now, he says, above all, my brothers, don't swear. By that, he's not talking about curse words. Although, don't do that either. But uh, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Uh, an oath is given, right? Um, when you wonder if you're going to be believed. Here's a definition, dictionary definition of an oath. A solemn declaration invoking God or someone or something else as a witness of one's statements and promises. In other words, my word alone isn't convincing, so I need somebody over here to validate it, to confirm it. So I'm going to swear an oath by God. He'll be my witness. So he endorses what I'm saying. But an oath is a solemn declaration invoking God or someone else or something else as a witness of one's statements and promises, inviting the one sworn by to bring punishment should one be lying. So if you call God as your witness or anybody else as your witness, then if, you, if you're lying, then you're inviting them to come and punish you. <laughs> All right? And that gives some... Um, Assurance to the one to whom you're speaking that you're telling the truth. And if you're not, then you'll get your due, if you will. Um, so James says we shouldn't need such a thing. To need such a thing is simply the result of the fact that we know that people lie and we can't trust one another. It's an admittance of that. And if you have to do that yourself and continue to do that yourself, what's that really saying? James says about your word, is it really true? No, your yes should be yes, your no should be no. Again, no surprise that James wants us to be honest. We, we know the scripture. We know the ninth commandment. Even if you don't know them in order, you know which one I'm referring to. The one that says that you should bear false witness against your neighbor. I, I memorized the Ten Commandments as a kid from a napkin holder. I don't know where you did. We had some of the commandments on one side and the others on the other. And it was a good way, I suppose, my mother to... Get us to memorize that. So the ninth commandment, I memorized it on my little napkin holder in the King James Version, is thou shalt not bear false witness against your brother. Uh, and so we realize we're not to lie in various and sundry kinds of ways. I, I read uh, this morning from Leviticus in chapter 19, uh, and it spoke similarly to what James is saying in verse 11, the middle of verse 11 in Leviticus 19. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am uh, the Lord. So even the Lord says, listen, if, if you use my name, make sure you're telling the truth. Don't swear falsely by my, by my name, but we shouldn't lie uh, to one another. In fact, if you have, uh, you can go online and find this or you may have a copy of this in the Westminster Confession of Faith, our confessional document, uh, written in the 17th, or 18th, uh, 17th century, mid-17th century, um, has a couple of questions in the larger catechism, um, not the shorter catechism, 
It's the one that's larger. There you go. And um, actually, it's the one for adults. The shorter catechism was one for children. The larger catechism was one for adults. But now nobody reads the larger catechism, except nerds like me. But um, but there's two two questions about the ninth commandment. Three, really. One is, what is it? But the other two uh, ask the question, what does it require and what does it forbid? If, if we're going to be truth tellers, if we're not going to lie, uh, then then it, it forbids certain things. And this is really the second question asked about it, as opposed to the first. Uh, we always think in terms of the negative, but uh, the ninth commandment forget, forbids. It says everything detrimental to the truth and the good reputation of others as well as our own. And then it says with special references of reference to to courts and and, and official gatherings. But he says this too. We must not speak the truth at an inappropriate time or maliciously to promote a wrong purpose nor pervert it to a wrong meaning into ambiguous equivocations. That happens all the time on TV. Or in such a way as to undermine truth and justice. Also forbidden are saying anything untrue as well as lying, slandering, backbiting, belittling, gossiping, whispering. Um, whispering bad things about people, not just saying, I'll meet you at seven, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, r- ridiculing, reviling, and expressing any kind of judgmental opinion that is rash, harsh, or prejudiced, misconstruing intentions, words, and actions. Flattery. What do we say? Flattery is the things that people say behind your, say to your face they'd never say behind your back. Uh, and ostentatious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too poorly of ourselves or others, denying the gifts of God or the effects of his grace on us. Don't lie about that. Be truthful about his grace and its effects on us. I could go on. But there are things that it requires. Notice this. He says, the ninth commandment requires that we maintain and promote truthfulness in all our dealings with each other and the good reputation of each other as well of our, as well as ourselves. He says, we must have a charitable regard for others, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good reputation, as well as regretting and putting the best light on their failings. There's more. It's a long paragraph. But the point is, there's things forbidden by it and required by it. By being one who tells the truth. I read also earlier from Ephesians in chapter 4. This passage uh, that tells us this, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor. We're to put a, away falsehood. Why? Because now we've entered into the truth. We know the truth. We've received the truth. We've met the one who is the truth. And so how can then we be deceivers? You remember what Jesus said about Satan. He was the father of lies. We're not to resemble him, but our heavenly father. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, in a similar way, Paul writes this. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, but on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, it is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, a Scythian, uh, f- slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So this new self, then, is the self that puts on, if you will, 
truth. We know that speaking truth is crucial for relationships. It's crucial for trust. Thus, without it, there can be no real relationship because there can be no real trust if we lie, if we deceive. The, The difficulty is that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the irony of that statement isn't lost on me, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we realize that we're all tempted to lie various times and in various ways. In fact, it was fascinating to me that the little story that was always told to me to, as a little kid to, to help me to tell the truth really is a myth. I mean, I, I learned to tell the truth by the great story about George Washington, who when he was six, his dad gave him a hatchet. And then one day his father found a big cut in his uh, father's cherry tree. And he came wondering and George said to his father, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I cut the cherry tree. And his father is purported to have said, "Uh, George, uh, your honesty is worth a thousand trees. That really never happened. Uh, But it's a great story to teach us how to tell the truth. But even in it is a lie. When George purportedly said, I cannot tell a lie, it was a lie, obviously, right? We know that. He certainly can I'm sure he certainly did, as we all have. You see, lying began with the fall, of course, because we bought into, as the people through Adam, bought into the lie that we can be like God. Now, buying into that lie, you see, puts a tremendous amount of pressure on us. Because then we can't fail. Then everything depends upon us. And so deep down we know that that, that we aren't all that. But somehow we have to give the front that we're all that. And so we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to promote ourselves. We even believe some of these lies so that we can be more secure. So we we, we lie so that... um, We'll escape guilt. I didn't really do that. Or we spin it in such a way that we try to get out of it even though we really did do it and the guilt really is on us. I remember as a kid, my mother used to leave home and when she left, she would tell me, now little Billy, practice your piano. And I'd say, okay. When she came back, she would say, did you practice? And I would say, yes. And she would say, no, you didn't. And I never knew how she knew that. Until when I was older, I said, mom, how do you know that? And she said, I, I knew you. <laughs> you don't practice when I'm home. Uh, so so it, 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 we have this tendency to protect ourselves. No, no, I don't want you to think badly of me, Mom. Or I don't want you to think badly of me. So I need to lie. I need to spin it in such a way that you'll think, well, so I lie to hopefully relieve myself of guilt. And the only way we know to relieve ourselves of guilt is to tell the truth to the one who is the truth. And forgives. We lie about all kinds of things. We lie about our age. We lie about our weight. I'm so glad when I check into an airport that there's a picture of my driver's license and the TSA person doesn't go by the weight that's listed there. He'd say, no, this can't be you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we do. We lie about how much we make. We lie about how good everything is going for us. We lie at very significant times. It appears when we make vows at weddings since we vow to love until death do us part, but many 
partings take place before death, even though the vows have been made. We can lie in business for fear that we'll lose if we don't. We lie, our politicians do, in such a way that many of us aren't even quite sure what is true, what's really happening, going on, and that sort of thing. We get it, we know that. The propensity for human beings to lie. Now, this propensity is what leads to oaths, and that's this point that James is, is making. Now, we know that, that, that we swear oaths all the time in various circumstances, in courts of law, uh, and when people become citizens, uh, in certain professions, take an oath of that, that you're going to uphold a particular standard of practice or life. Um, and, and the reason those oaths are taken or made or traditional is because people do lie. And if, and if I don't know you, then I, I need some assurance that you're telling me the truth, though these things, though they may be superficial in a variety of ways, these things have existed. In fact, as we read through the scripture, what's fascinating is that we find many of the people that we admire uh, swearing oaths or having others swear oaths. For instance, Abraham, when he was seeking a wife for his son Isaac, sent a servant out, and he wanted to make sure that his servant wouldn't bring a Canaanite woman back for his wife, his, his uh, son to marry, uh, but would bring back someone from his own people. And so he made him swear upon God that, that, that he wouldn't bring back a Canaanite uh, woman. And in fact, Nehemiah, we worked our way through Nehemiah a few years ago, but uh, Nehemiah, in a particular instance where he's very upset with the um, officials, even in, of the Israelites, uh, they have been um, um, uh, hurting the people. And so Nehemiah is calling them back to repentance. And so in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse uh, 12, he says, um, he says, And I called the priests and made them swear to do the, as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who doesn't keep his, this promise so he may be shaken out and emptied. And that's an oath. <laughs> he's swearing by God. He said, if you're not telling the truth, then I'm praying that God's going to come and, and deal with you. And so he swore an oath in that, in that instance. And so we, we find that to be the case. We find Paul himself um, calling God to be his witness, for instance, as he wrote to the church in Corinth, especially in his second letter. Um, they, they didn't trust him. And so, so he, 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 he swears, if you will, uh, an oath. Verse, 29, verse 23 of chapter 1 of Second Corinthians, he says, But I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that uh, I refrained from coming uh, again to Corinth. He had, he had told them that he was going to go there, but then he didn't. And now he says, I, I, I call God as my witness. I know you don't trust me. I know you don't believe me. So, so I'm going to call upon God as my witness. I'm going to swear this oath. Uh, and, and so uh, even Paul swore an oath. There's other occasions as well. So what's the point? What's James talking about? He says, don't swear an oath. Yet we see that. Not only that, we see that God swears oaths by his own name. When he made a promise to Abraham he's to, to, to give him many descendants, he says, I swear by my own name. When he promised to David that there would be descendants on his throne forever, he swears by his own, own name. In fact, the author of Hebrews summarizes all of that like this. 
in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 13, he says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Uh, and thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Um, and then in verse 17, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, uh, we who have fled for refuge might find strong encouragement to hold fast to hope. So even God swears enough. So why in the world is James so upset about all this oath swearing? Why is it so important that he would say above all? And why, if they did it, it would lead to condemnation? Now, do you remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something very similar to what James has written. It doesn't surprise us. Again, James uh, alludes to much that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said this, Again, you've heard that it was said of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. And that's true, but there was more. And Jesus said, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Jesus said the same thing. James said the same thing as Jesus. But why? Well, Jesus expands on that in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. He says this. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. Anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You see, in Jesus' day and thus in James' day, people were swearing oaths, not so that their truth could be confirmed, but so that they could actually deceive Somebody would come and say, wait a minute, you promised to do this and you swore by the temple. And you go, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. They use these oaths to deceive. So, So James is saying, don't be a deceiver. Don't be a liar. Don't be one who pretends. Don't be one who's fake. Don't be the one who honors God with your lips but not with your heart. Don't be a deceiver like that. You see, their problem is when they were making these oaths and and, and using them really to deceive, they forgot that God is the witness to everything. No matter what we say, no matter what oath we may take. And so while it may be fine to take an oath when no one knows you, and, and, and uh, but it would be sad to be an oath taker among people in your community, people who know you. You shouldn't have to do that. Why your yes should be yes and your no should be no. You should be a person of integrity. Why? Because you're a person who's, who knows the truth. And who's been given life to live out that truth. 
And so you should be sincere and honest in all your dealings. And that's really the question then that James leaves us with. Do you really believe this? I mean, that's his question throughout all of this. He's been saying, listen, when you go through trial, your your faith will be tested so that you can mature and grow up. Do you need help? Pray. But believe. Make sure you have faith, that you're really trusting God, that he will give you the wisdom that you need and you'll follow the wisdom. Do you really want his wisdom? Or are you double-minded? Do you really want his wisdom? You're going through a trial. Your faith is being tested. Do you really want his wisdom? Then really pray and then listen for his wisdom as it comes through his word and live on it, you see. Do you really believe him? He says, well, you say you have faith. You say you have faith. But is it real? That's his question. How do we know if it's real? And he says, you you know if it's real by whether or not it's impacted your life in a way that your life is consistent with the faith that you profess. So if you're one who is a deceiver, if you're one who's spinning life in your favor, if you're one who's self-promoting and self-protecting by these lies, you have to ask the question, is this truth really in you? I mean, those who were swearing, these oaths were, were using religious language and they were looking very religious, like everything was, was great in terms of their faith. But he's saying, no, 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 it wasn't. They were using all of this just as a facade, just as a deception. So the question for us, is this really real, this faith that we have? And if you're like you, me, you're saying, yeah, uh, mo- mo- mostly, Right? I mean, there's this, this thing within us. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but, but yeah. yes. Right? And so how can we really have assurance in the midst of that? Well, we do because we know there's one who is truth has come and died even for this deception in our lives. He's died for us and we trust him and he's lived a life of perfect truth for us we sang i trust you marked these words as we sang them but we sang words that um the the music is a new tune but you know it's an old song when the person who wrote it has the first name of horatius but this expression upon a life i have not lived Upon a death, I did not die. Right? That's it, you see. That's it, you see, right there. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. You see, as I, as I read this passage, if I hadn't had Christ on my mind as I read it, I would be in utter despair. I'd be in utter despair. I know my propensity to self-promote. I know my propensity to self-protect. I know my propensity to try to spin things to make me look really good. I know that. And yet, I fall back upon Christ. His death that I didn't die. His death that took my place, you see. And his life that was lived for me, never forget that. 
Everywhere that we've sinned, Christ has obeyed. So not only are we receiving forgiveness of the sins that we've committed, but we're also receiving his righteousness upon us. And so really the message is this righteousness that we now have, you see, is at work within us. And now we're called to live that out. And we're called to live that out always dependent upon the death we didn't die and the life we didn't live. And that's James' point here. That's why it's so important. He says, your mouth reflects. And you honor God only with your lips and not your life, not your heart, really. He says, I want you to be an integrated person. In mathematics, an integral is a whole number. We want to be a whole number. We want, we want to be an integrated person where the faith that we have is reflected in our life. And James keeps calling that, us to that, doesn't he? He keeps calling us to that. And, and he says, be who you are in Jesus. Let's pray, Father. I pray for all of us that you would cause us to to live now a life that is consistent with real faith. Real faith in Jesus. It's a life of humility because it's a death we didn't die, a life we didn't live. We're trusting, staking our whole eternity upon him. So it's a life of humility. We, we know that. So, so we know the tendencies in our own heart to self-protect, to self-promote. To try to be all that when we aren't. So our assurance first comes by confession. Our assurance then comes by trusting in Christ. And then, Father, we pray that you would help us to live real lives, honest lives before each other. Give us the grace, Father, to be honest with each other and not fake, to be authentic, if you will. Give us grace, Father, to not be judgmental towards one another but to be inviting and accepting to the point that you are inviting and accepting of us in Christ, that we might accept one another as you've accepted us in Christ Jesus. And that we might know that with each other. And so that we might even in context of community be less tempted to self-promote and self-protect. But to be honest with each other that our yes would be yes and our no would be no. And that we can really live out the faith that you've given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many of us suffer in these days and so help us to be honest about that and even the difficulties that we face in the midst of that so that we can share in one one another's lives. And when we experience Joys, may we share those as well and participate in those joys as well with each other and be free to rejoice with those who rejoice, 
even as we weep with those who weep. Thank you, Father, for calling us to be yours and to calling us to belong to each other in such a way that we may live this life together. May our yes be yes and our no be no. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.